We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 45. We're going to be starting a very important part of our subject of our study. As we've mentioned a number of times over these classes, that the goal of these shiurim is that we achieve a life of simha that is continuous. When we speak about simha, we do not mean that you should find happiness once in a while. We do not mean that you should have a few hours a day of simha. Although that's probably a good thing as well. But the goal, really, what is in store for us and what we're capable of, although it sounds unrealistic for probably most people, is that a person is able to achieve simha every moment of their life. No matter what the situation is. The great times and the difficult times. And if we expect to have such an achievement, and that's why we're here, there is an area in life that we must learn how to deal with, how to understand. And if we don't do it, we're not going to be able to achieve, I can't say we can't achieve anything, but we're not going to be able to get to the desired goal. That area is the subject in Hebrew, which is called Yisurim. Yisurim means human suffering. We live in a world where we can often look around us and say, what did Hashem do to us? You have wars where people are suffering. While well, people are sick. Accidents. Person gets hurt. Issues in relationships. Financial issues that people can be suffering with. People sometimes have a hard time getting married, finding the shiduch that is for them. That could be a tremendous amount of suffering. Sometimes a person is having a hard time bringing children into the world. That could be a tremendous amount of suffering. Sometimes the children themselves are a tremendous amount of suffering. And a person asks themselves, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to others around me? Why doesn't Hashem save me? Where is the compassionate, kind, giving creator that we all speak about? In times of Yisurim, there's a lot of pain 
and perhaps even worse, is a lot of frustration. There's worry. And if we don't learn how to deal with this area in our lives, we're going to have a hard time reaching a level of simha that we can be proud of. This is a very difficult subject. And it's not something that normally I think rabbis would like to speak about. And I understand it. Not only is it complex, it's also sensitive. You never know who you're speaking to. You never know what they're going through. You never know if the words that you say are really the words that you're not supposed to say if you knew what they were going through. So it's really a very difficult subject to say it in a way where everybody gets something out of it and you don't hurt anybody. But, like I said, there isn't a way to achieve, this is not a random class on a Tuesday. We're in the middle of a subject. So if we're going to finish our subject, we must do this. There is no other way. We cannot avoid it. And good thing that we're not avoiding it. Because it is quite important. Because it bothers every single one of us. On different levels, in different times. But it bothers us. And especially in modern times. This has become a very big problem. Technology has brought into our homes and into our lives so much information about what goes on in the world. All the tragedies from this continent to Asia, to Europe, to Africa, everything comes to our lives in real time. How many people are suffering? How many people are hungry? How many people are getting killed? And all types of news that we're constantly listening to. It almost, if you put it on the news, it almost feels like there's nothing good going on in the world. You know, good news doesn't really sell. There's something very deep about that. You never really, once in a while you hear a good news story on the news or you listen to the radio news. But generally, if you put on the radio and you put on news, you will hear primarily bad news. It's people who got killed, raped, stolen from, punched, assaulted. You name it, that's what you hear. They tell you that in 22 minutes, they're going to give you the world. But really, if we were to be honest, they're giving you all the junk of the world. Because in reality, there is so much good that's going on in the world. There are so many volunteers right now. Millions and millions and millions of people right now are volunteering their time and their efforts to help those in need. There are so many people that are honoring their parents by doing things for them, buying things for them, taking care of them. 
There are so many people taking care of the elderly. There are so many people who are taking care of children that need help. Yeah, I met a person this week. He's not a Jewish person. He told me from his family, out of 200 some odd people, over 200 of them are in public service, meaning they're either volunteers, they're firefighters, they're driving ambulances, they're teachers. Over 200 of 250 of his family volunteer their time to help other people. But you'll never hear about that on the news. You have to trip on that by seeing, speaking to somebody privately. Because good news, I guess, doesn't sell. I once had a dream that I would open up a radio station that would just report good news. That was, maybe I wasn't the only one. I had this, such, a, such a dream in my mind. I said, why do I have to hear this all day long? And they repeat again, Hazara, Hazara. Even in Torah, we don't do that much re repeating. And I guess maybe the sad news is that good news doesn't really interest anybody. I can't say anybody, but I guess it doesn't sell as good. And I'm assuming, and it's not a great thing to talk about, but I'm and that's not today's subject, but I'm assuming that when you hear bad news, unfortunately there might be some relief that you're not that person. You might even feel good that you don't do those things. There's a certain feeling of maybe, like I said, gratefulness or superiority that happens when you hear bad things are happening to people. It's not nice to say, but it's the truth. It's very easy to be sad for people, but it's very hard to be happy for them. In fact, somebody told me this week, that his father, years ago, would always tell him, he says, the friends that cry with you may not be your real friends. But the ones that celebrate with you with all their heart, those are your real friends. Because it's very difficult to be happy for another person. To be sad for them, it's so easy. They're down, you're not. So of course, it almost feels good that you should be trying to help them because that means you don't have their problem. When, it, when somebody is doing well, that's not so easy. Of course, externally, we will always say the right things. Person you know, made a lot of money overnight. Of course, you give them the biggest hug and you say, I can't believe it. I'm so happy for you. Of course, but in your heart, you could be very far from that. In your heart, it could be you, you want to do kiriyah. <laughs> you can't believe that this guy who has no sechel, you sat with him in school, he didn't pass one test, he cheated off you, his whole school career, and now he made the deal, and I'm still struggling to pay rent. Very hard to be happy for somebody. Someone's getting married, and you're not yet married. Very hard, it's your best friend. Of course, 
you show that you're happy. And of course you want to be happy, but it's not so easy. It's very difficult. In fact, I spoke to someone this morning that I'm walking out of shul. He said, I'm really struggling with something. A young man told me, I'm really struggling with something and I'm waiting to hear. I, I know most of the struggles. I could probably guess the struggles. And he said something that I really haven't heard, maybe ever or in a long time. He says, I'm struggling. I'm having a very hard time being happy for my friends. He says, you know, they, some are getting married, some are having children. And I'm having a very hard time and I'm struggling with it and it bothers me. Now, I don't know what to do. I told him, guess what? I said, you know, he thinks everybody else is happy for the other guy. Only he's the problem. I said, guess what? We're all in the same boat. We're all struggling with that. It's very hard to be happy for people. So I guess good news is harder to hear than bad news. And I guess bad news sells. They know a little bit about money, the people in that area. Anyway, bottom line is, for whatever the reason, <clears throat> modern technology has given us a lot more awareness of tragedy that's going on in the world. And it almost feels like everything is wrong every day. But that, does, that doesn't mean that this is a new topic. This is not a modern topic, this subject of trying to deal with Yisurin and understanding them. We see it throughout the ages. We cannot find someone greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. And even he, says the Gemara Berachot, when he asked Hashem, Hashem, could you please help me understand your ways? So the Gemara says, what does he mean? Your ways. Which ways? There's a lot of ways that Hashem has. So the Gemara says, but he said to Hashem, Ribbono Allah, Master of the Universe, Why are there good people and they're suffering? Why is there Rasha, what seems to be terrible people, Vetovlo? And they're great. They're healthy they have money, they're rolling. Why does that make sense? Or better yet, how does that make sense? And Hashem, according to the Bimeir, did not answer him. He says, that's what I do. That's my business. Sometimes I will be compassionate even to those who don't deserve compassion. And sometimes the opposite. He didn't answer him. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, believe it or not, struggled with this question. I don't want to bring Moshe Rabbeinu down to our level. His struggle was on a much higher level than our struggle. His questions have a lot deeper meaning than our questions. But nonetheless, we're struggling with the same subject as Moshe Rabbeinu. The Mishnah Masechet Avot says, Rabbi Yenai Omer, En beyadenu. En beyadenu means we just are not capable to understand lo mishalvat When we see bad people relaxed, when we see bad people having tranquility, quote unquote, in their life, velo mi We can't understand how good people suffer. Mishnah perkei avot perek dalit. 
If you open up Tehillim, you will see in Perak Ayin Gimel, you could look it up, 73. It was written by Asaf, a great man of our history. And the words he says are hard to believe. You cannot believe he actually wrote these words. You know, we read them, we probably don't understand them. Maybe it's a good thing. Because if we did, we'd be like, yeah, wow, I feel like that. He says, Va'ani. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'll read you a little bit. He says, Va'ani. Says Asaf, and for me? He says, Kim'at. He says, almost. Natayu raglai. My feet turned astray. Means I almost went off the derech. Could you imagine Asaf writing Mizmorete Ilim and saying, I just want to tell you, I almost went off the derech. Kimat. Kimat means I was right there. He says, Ke'ayin shupechu ashurai. He says, Kikineti baholelin. He says, I had jealousy of bad people. Shalom reshaim ere. I would see myself compared to another person. That person doesn't keep mitzvot. That person doesn't really do good things. The opposite. And I see they have such shalva, such peace in their life. He says, I don't get it. These are bad people. How could it be that they have such tranquility? How could it be? They're doing great things in their life. And I said to myself, again, it's hard to believe he would say this. He says, whatever I'm doing, it's empty, it's nothing, it's a waste of time. I'm going to learn, waste of time. I'm working on my character, waste of time. He goes on and on. He says, He says, this was not bothering me once in a while. He says, I was plagued all day. So I felt the pain all day. I had issues. I felt I was getting rebuked every morning. That's what I felt. Every morning I woke up, another rebuke. And the guy across the street is doing great. This is the words of a great man named Asaf. I bet we also feel that way. I don't know if we would express ourselves that way. And I don't know that we got to the edge like he's saying he did. Baruch Hashem, he never went off the derech, but he's describing the feelings, not just of himself, but of every person that reads Tehillim. There are times in life when you're pushed and you just feel like, how? I don't get it. Why do I deserve this? Especially when you look at bad people that don't do what half the deal you do. And they're doing great, they have no issues. The Ramban, let me read you a Ramban. Ramban is one of the greatest Rishonim, the greatest rabbis in the history of our people. He writes on his Perush to Iyov. He says, Yesh davar, there is something. Machiv halevavot. He says, it pains the heart. Umachiv hamachshavot. And it pains the mind. What does he mean? Pains the heart and pains the mind. I mean, there are things that make you suffer emotionally. You're hurt. You just feel hurt. 
And there are things that pain you intellectually. You're just so bothered. Sometimes you're hurt emotionally, but you get it. I get it. I understand it. And sometimes you're pained in your mind because you just can't wrap your head around it. Why? How could this make sense? Besides being hurt, I'm not understanding. Why is this happening to me? He says, what is that? He says, Mimenu levado. He says, just from this issue alone, Nimshechu rabim bechol adorot lekefira gemura. He says, just from this issue, and a lack of clarity of this issue, and not knowing how to deal with this issue, took people not forget simha. We were here trying to achieve simha. He says, it took people completely off the path. Kefira gemura. He says, and what is it? He says, when they see in the world what seems to be not a balance, not balanced correctly. Good to bad, bad to good. Doesn't Why is that guy successful? Why is she successful? Why are they having children? Why are they better than me? I'm up every morning at four o'clock. I'm learning Torah, I'm helping people. Why can't I find the Shidu for my daughter? And why is that guy, he, he hasn't done a good thing in 20 years. What's going on? Says the Rambam, Ramban, Zehu Shoresh Hamari Bechola Mordim Mikol Uma Velashon. Says the Ramban, it's not only a Jewish thing. He says, this is the root cause of any rebellion that took place in any religion in any nation. If you see some non-Jew go off his derech, it's because of this. So this is a quite a heavy subject, but not a subject to ignore. If it's something that is so... I would say, dangerous. How could we not forget Simha for a minute? Even if you say, you know what? Let's not discuss the subject. Well, so we want to have Simha fully. But it seems like it's more dangerous than that. So we must spend time on it. And we must study it in depth as much as we can. Now, there's a very big problem giving this class. And I alluded to it before, but now I'm going to tell you a little more. There are two types of people that right now are sitting in front of me. There is a person, there are many types, but we're going to split them into two. There is a person right now who is suffering. A rule in life is that when a person is suffering, they don't need your derashot. They don't need your musar. They do not need your explanation of what's going on in their life. That's not what they're looking for. When a person is suffering emotionally, they need emotional support. They need you to cry with them. They need you to understand their pain. You know, we have in Hebrew... 
one of the most beautiful midot that a human is capable of reaching, a midah that Moshe Rabbeinu had, that Yosef HaTzadik had. It's called Noseh Be'ol Aim Havero, which literally means a person who carries the burden with his friend, which in simple explanation means that if someone is carrying a very heavy box, could you imagine someone's carrying a very heavy box? Imagine your daughter or your son is carrying a very heavy box. They pack the box four times the weight that they should have. And now you're moving and they're carrying the box. And they're stuck with the box. And you say, didn't I tell you that you shouldn't pack the box? Come, let me show you how to pack boxes. You have to make it lighter. This doesn't work. And you're giving them a whole lesson on how to pack boxes. You think that's what they need right now? They're sitting there with the box on their shoulder dying? Of course there's room for that as well. But not now. Right now they're in pain and they need someone to give their shoulder. That's what they need. Because when you give your shoulder to help them carry the box, the, lot, the box gets lighter. That's how it works. But that's not only a solution in the physical reality, that's also a solution in the feeling reality, in the emotional reality. When a person is suffering emotionally, they don't need you to explain to them what they did wrong to get to that point, or what they're doing wrong now. That's not what they need. Now, they may have done wrong, and they may be doing wrong, but that's not right now the call of action. Right now, they need someone to lighten the box. And if you say, how do I lighten the box when they're feeling terrible, when they're down, when they're suffering? How do I lighten that box? What shoulder do I have to be able to lighten their emotional box. And the answer is, like Hazal tell us, you have to feel their pain. Somehow it's magic. I don't know how it works. It's magical that when you feel someone's pain, somehow their pain gets lighter. You don't have to say anything. You have to feel their pain. You know, there are many people who feel very uncomfortable going to a hospital to visit someone who's sick. There are many people who are uncomfortable going to a Beit Avel to visit someone who's sitting for a loved one, especially if it's very tragic. You know, if it's a very, very old person, then it's a little easier, but a tragedy, you feel uncomfortable going. Why do they feel uncomfortable? It makes sense. Because they say to themselves, what am I gonna say? I don't know what to say. I'm gonna go visit the person in the hospital. What am I gonna say? Feel better? What does that mean? Does that really mean anything? Or maybe I shouldn't say feel better, so then what am I doing there? If I'm trying to make them better, so should I make a joke? Oh, no, but a joke? That doesn't make sense. You can make jokes. The person is screaming. So what do I do? Am I there to cheer them up? Am I there, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. 
What do I say to a person who just lost their child? What am I supposed to say? What am I saying? What, what? It's going to be okay? What am I saying? Don't worry. I've been through something like this. What are you going to tell them? And therefore, people feel uncomfortable, and understandably so, because they don't know what to say. But their whole thought process is off. Because you don't have to say anything. You're not there to say. You're not there to cheer up. You're not there to lighten the mood. You're there for one reason, and one reason only, to lighten the load. A person was suffering in his hospital bed, you're there to lighten the load. Someone is sitting, you're there to lighten the load. And if you, how do you do that? Well, you have to find some room in your heart to feel their pain. That's all you have to do. And that everybody's capable of. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be very sharp in your thinking or your reactions. You don't have to have the perfect lines. You don't have to know Torah Shebikhtav or Torah Shebaalpeh. You just have to find a little room in your heart for that person and feel their pain and cry with them. That's all you need. When I think of this, I always think of a personal story that happened to me. I'm sure I've shared it before here. But it's very appropriate for what we're talking about. A few years ago, my family and I sat Shiva for my father, Allah And there were many people that came to visit over the week, like every home in this community. And we had many conversations with many people. We said a lot of things they didn't know. We heard a lot of things that we didn't know. Like what happens by a normal bit of them. Now if you ask me right now, um, could you tell me who came that week? I'll just say a lot of people. I don't know, give me some names. So I could probably guess who came, but I don't remember who came. Could you tell me any conversation that took place? You're sitting for seven days. People were talking to you back and forth. Could you tell me what, what you spoke about? And maybe I'm embarrassed to say, I don't remember one thing. Maybe we should write them down. We should have some system to write things down because a lot of things you learn by Abed Abel that you didn't know about your own family. But I don't remember one thing. So if you ask me, do you remember anything? I say, I remember one man. One man who had an unbelievable visit. By far, the best visit of the entire week. So you're probably going to ask me, so what did he say? What do you do? I want to I learn so I can use it too. What did he say to you? What could he possibly say to this man? So this man basically, here it goes. He walked into the door, sat down, looked at all of us, and started crying. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried. Maybe like five or ten minutes, I don't remember exactly how long. And he said to him, and he walked out. He didn't say a word. We didn't say a word. I want to say it was a great visit, probably not the right word, but that was a valuable visit. Perhaps more than anybody else who came in and said this, and, and Baruch Hashem, nobody did wrong. 
But if you ask which one was the most valuable, it was that man. When you visit someone, you don't have to say anything. That's not the call of duty here. If they ask you to speak in public, get nervous. That's not what you're being asked to do here. Could you find a little room in your heart for that person? Of course you can. And then all of a sudden you lighten the load. That's the way it works. So when it comes to the subject of suffering, if you have people in front of you that are suffering, you can't start taking the book out and say, well, here's why and here's how and this is how it works. It could be it's true, but that's not the time for it. Of course, there's the, there's the intellectual person who says, you know, Baruch Hashem, I'm not really going through Nice, they left the battery, so. There's the person who, Baruch Hashem, their life is somewhat normal. Even in the normal life, you can have Yisurim. But, you know, there's levels of Yisurim. And they're here and they want to know. Okay, yeah, I, I, I want to know, I want to understand the subject. For sure, I had these issues before. I see people who had these issues. I'd like to learn about it. Could you explain the subject in detail from beginning to end? Is there anything that we can learn about it that can make it more meaningful, that can make it more understandable, that can help us deal and maybe react properly? That's a whole different student. That's not the first guy. So that's why this subject, to talk about it in public is difficult. Because you don't know who you're sitting next to. So, the bottom line is, the bottom line is, I apologize in advance. Because I don't know what each person is going through. But at the end of the day, it's not a lack of care or sensitivity. It's just the reality of the subject that needs to be addressed and explained from beginning to end. I remember that I was faced with such a uh, challenge years ago. I don't remember now how many years it was, maybe 10 years ago. There was a very big tragedy in our community. I'm sure everybody remembers the tragedy of the crash in Mexico. And that week, the week of the Shiva. There was nobody sitting here in New York. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That week of the Shiva, like I said, nobody was sitting here. No family member was in New York. But there was a family member that came back from Mexico who was not sitting. A, grand, a cousin or something great nephew and I felt it was appropriate to go just say hello it wasn't a Shiva house but it was a visit so 
I decided I'm going to go, it was 8 o'clock. I said, I'm gonna, I had a class at 9 o'clock in shul, so I'm going to go 8 o'clock. I go sit with him. I imagine I'd be there by myself. Again, it's not a, it's not a shiva. There's no, there's nothing going on there. And I guess I miscalculated because when I got there, there was a living room full of people sitting all around in a full circle, probably 40, 50 people. And he was somewhere in that circle. And they gave me also a seat in that circle. And it was very, very quiet. And uncomfortably quiet. No one had what to say, and understandably so. So I was quiet like everybody else. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this whole scene, some man gets up, and he looks at me, and directs his words towards me, and he says, Rabbi! I said, yes. Sounded a very loud rabbi. He says, How can this happen to such good people? I could not believe that he did that. I'm sure he meant well, but please, if you're in that position, don't do that. But he did. And worse than his question, was all 50 people in the circle now are focused on me. But they didn't come to visit me. But they're all staring at me and saying, like, you know, they're right. It's a good question. As if I crashed the plane. And everyone's giving me that look like, you know, what are you going to say, Rabbi? As if the future of Judaism in their life is now based on my, what's going to be my response? Now, I wish I could have pressed the button and just escaped from the basement. <laughs> but that wasn't an option. To answer is not an option. Because it wasn't that kind of place. As we mentioned. This was not a home that needed explanation. Not to explain is also not appropriate because you have 50 Jews looking at you and saying, yeah, Rabbi, what are you going to say? As if, like, it's a big question, you know, it's a big problem. You know, we're not going to be Shabbat Shabbat anymore, I'm just telling you. This is it. That's what it felt like, at least. Like they're all going off the derech until I answer the question. I don't know if that's true. That's what it felt like. So I didn't know what to do. And, and this was like in a split second. This whole this whole thinking. What am I gonna do? So. So I told them. I said. That you're asking a very good question. I said, unfortunately, in the circumstance that we're in now, I cannot answer your question. But I would like to tell you something 
so that you don't feel that you're asking a big question. So while I can't answer you, at least I can show you what you're asking is not a big question. Pasuk says, this is what I told him, but I'll say probably a little longer here. The Pasuk says, in Mizmor Shir Leyom HaShabbat, Ish Ba'an Lo Yeda. A human is like a behema. Ba'al is like a, he's not, how much does he know? He doesn't know much. Lo yada. He doesn't know much. Uksil, but the fool, lo yavinet zot. The fool doesn't understand this. So the question is, what is the difference between a regular person who we're calling lo yada, doesn't know, he's a ba'an, lo yada, but a fool Lo yavin etzot doesn't understand this. What is this? What does he not understand? So I'm going to give you a little mashal. It's an updated version of a mashal mentioned in the books. I'll give you my own version of it. There's a man... who is very, very wealthy, and he loves space. That's his life. He just loves it. And he gives all of his money, very big philanthropist, he gives all of his money to NASA. Makes sense? NASA builds this new magnificent state-of-the-art building that has in it some of the most amazing things on the planet that nobody has ever seen. Some amazing findings that they have. And they built a beautiful building, state of the art, just so they can show what they're doing. So when they finish building it, they say, we're gonna invite the first person that's gonna come take a tour of this building is our good friend who gives us all this money they invite him, he says, of course, I'll be happy to come. He flies in, they're all at the red carpet. They bring in the greatest, the top astronaut that they have. It's going to take him around. The person is very knowledgeable. He'll be able to answer every one of his questions. He'll be able to really inspire him, educate him. It's going to be a beautiful few hours. The man comes in. The astronaut introduces himself. They go to the first exhibit. Something amazing, something out of this world. And the astronaut's waiting after he shows him and explains to him. Now he's waiting for the guy to respond. He's waiting to hear maybe questions that he has or inquiries that he has. And the man doesn't even say, wow. Doesn't even say amazing, nothing. 
No questions, no inquiries, no amazing, no nothing. So a little disappointing, you know, when you are showing something so special, so beautiful, you, you want someone to react, something, nothing. Okay, they go to the next exhibit, the next item, and he shows him that, and he explains him everything, he's so into it, and he's waiting for the guy to say something. Again, nothing. No comment. He's getting a little frustrated. The third exhibit, the same story. By the fourth exhibit, the guy is so frustrated. That by, by after the fourth exhibit, the guy says, guys, I'm on it. The guy is an ignorant person. He just has money. That's it. He obviously doesn't have anything to offer. It's frustrating to be with him for the next few hours, but it is what it is. So he does his job for two hours, very frustrated the whole way. And the guy never opened his mouth. Finally, at the end of the tour, they are about to leave the building. So the astronaut is done with the guy. He just wants him to leave. And all of a sudden he says, but wait. He says, you know, I have a question. Really? You have a question? Okay. He says, maybe the guy has so many questions. He doesn't want to ask only till the end. He wants to ask it all together. Such a hachamid. He says, this question is bothering me the whole time I'm in this building. It's really bothering me. I just have one question. He says, you know, I noticed when I walked in that the light bulb, the light switch is on the left side of the door. You know, usually the light switch is on the right side of the door. Could you explain why they did that? It's really bothering me. Now the ashram is like, I was patient with you till now, but I'm done with you. He said, I just showed you the most amazing things on the planet. You understood anything? Only this you didn't understand? So you're saying everything else you understood? Nothing else bothered you? Says David Melech, a person, a human, how much do they understand? Tell me, how much do we understand? Do we understand how, you know, 2,000 years ago, astronomers thought, or calculated, that there were 2,000 stars. Ask them, how many stars are there? 2,000. Now, today, with technology, scientists say that in our galaxy alone, just our galaxy, there are over a hundred billion stars. Many of them are larger than the sun. The sun is very big. The sun makes planet Earth look like a small golf ball next to a very big basketball. Nothing. One hundred billion stars. And our galaxy is one of a hundred billion galaxies. That's how big this world is. And all moving at very high speeds. You know, our galaxy alone is going to get your head to spin a little bit. The galaxy that we're sitting in right now, 
travels at 250,000 miles per hour. 250,000. An airplane travels 500 miles per hour. 250,000 miles per hour. This entire galaxy with all the hundreds of billions of stars all moving together. This planet Earth is right now in the middle of another lap around the sun. It's traveling speeds of close to 65, 70,000 miles per hour. Traveling around the sun. It takes one year to do one lap around the sun. There are no poles. There are no lines. It travels exactly the same way every single day, every single year. When I say every day, it means like this. Today, sunrise in New York City was approximately 7.26. Today is November 1st. November 1st of any year for the last 5,783 years and going forward will always be in New York at 726. It will never change. That means the sun went around, the earth went around one full circle and is back in the exact same location with the exact same formation because it also turns on its own. It is back exactly in the same spot as it was last year. And tomorrow, the sun, November 2nd, will be there exactly in the same place from planet Earth. The same distance, the same exact place. How does that happen? Does anyone understand how the Earth knows to move the way it moves? Can anyone explain how it doesn't just deviate a little bit? And lucky for us it doesn't, because if it deviated a little bit and it went a little closer to see what's going on by the sun, we would fry. And if it went a little further, there would be no heat. We would freeze. It stays exact. The, the weather outside, whether it's 30 degrees or 100 degrees, is a miracle that it stays within that temperature where humans can survive. How does that happen? Does anyone understand how it happens? How many cells do we have in our bodies? Each human has over 25 trillion cells. What does that mean, trillion cells? I can't count that high. A trillion, 25 trillion cells. Each cell has today books written on one cell, how it operates how it works, the healthy cell, a non-healthy cell. Our body has, right now, as we speak, 25 trillion of them, each one working separately and together with the rest. We have blood vessels. You know, we have enough blood vessels in our body that if you put them side by side, just put them, roll them out. In one human body, you have enough blood vessels to go around the earth two and a half times. Thousands and thousands of miles of blood vessels in one human body. Seems very hard to understand, but that's a fact. 
How is it possible that we eat the food and then things are being separated? The waste goes to the waste and the nutrients go to each location. The calcium goes to the teeth. Everything that needs, everything the nail needs goes to the nails. Whatever the heart needs goes to the heart. Whatever the lungs need goes to the lung. Whatever the eyes need goes to the eyes. How, how does the body know to deliver calcium to the nails? How do they know that? Why do the nails grow here? Who told them? Scientists, of course, scientists are there to explain what happens. They tell you how it happens, but they don't tell you why it happens. They just say, that's how it works. Why is it when you plant a seed, how does a tree come? You plant an apple seed, has no apples in it, has no sweetness in it, has no wood in it, has no water in it. How do you plant an apple seed in the dirty ground and you get sweet apples? Why not sweet oranges? Why not nectarines? How does it know? How does the earth know to produce apples in that situation? Where did the tonnage of wood come in each tree? Who brought that? Where did it come from? Now, I know we know that's how it worked. That's how it worked. But how does it work? Do you understand it? Do I understand it? How does sleep work? Anyone ever think about how sleep works? Ask the average person on the street, how does sleep work? And they'll laugh at you. Does he sleep? What do you mean? You just go down, lay down, and you wake up, and you're refreshed. What's the problem? Imagine, what's the problem? Take your phone that's at 20% charge, and tonight, when you go to sleep, put it on the bed next to you and put a pillow under its head with some covers. Okay? And see in the morning how much it recharged. You'll see how much it's going to be dead by the morning. So how does a person sleep and then re-energize? Where is that energy coming from? Which outlet is he plugged into? What, what, how does it happen? Do you understand that? Did you ever understand that? Did you ever understand how your system works in every single, how the breathing works, how the digestion works, how anything works? How many body parts the body, the body has? So in reality, humans don't understand anything. That's okay. It's okay to walk out of this class and say, you know something? I really don't understand anything. That's the truth. I don't understand anything. That's okay. That's ish. That's a human. We're limited. We don't understand. But the Kisil, the fool says, I don't understand this. You know what that means when you say, I don't understand this? You know what that means? You know what you're trying to say? Let me explain a little more your words. When you say, I don't get this, imagine you look at the human body and you say, no, I don't get, I don't understand how the sharp teeth move to the front. I 
don't know how that happened. I don't get that. I don't understand that. And you'll say, what? You only don't understand this? See, when you say, I don't get this, you almost feel like you understand everything else. It's only this that I don't understand. And we remind you, hello, you don't understand anything. What are you saying you don't understand this? That makes you a kesil. That makes you a fool. A human doesn't understand. That's human. We're limited. We try to understand the best that we can. But at the end of the day, we don't really understand. But the fool says, I don't get this. Which almost makes you feel like he gets everything else. That's why Rashi Alava Shalom, when he explains the question of the Tam by the Haggadah. What does the Tam by the Haggadah say? Remember what the Tam asks, how he asked it? The Tam says, Mazot. What is Zot? So Rashi over there writes that this is the Tinok Tipesh. He is the foolish child. So some ask, why is he foolish? Why is he not foolish? He just doesn't know how to ask. So they explain mazot. Mazot means he's foolish because when he asks about zot, he makes believe as if he understands everything else. That's foolish. Say, I don't get anything. Great. Makes sense. Say, I don't get this. Imagine a person says, you know what? I don't understand suffering. I don't get it. Now, that's a great question. But before we get excited about your question, because you sound like you figured everything else out. You got it all. Everything you got. You have clarity on every subject that pertains to your life. And this is the only one that you got stuck in. That's what you make it sound like. That is foolish. You know, Eov is a great example of that. We all know and heard of Eov. Eov is the example of a Baal Yisurin, someone who suffered. There's a whole book on this man. And the book, I wish we had more time and I could give you a little more information. But basically, in short, the book begins by describing a man who Hashem says. Could you imagine Hashem could testify on you? You know, we all think we're great, Sadiqim, but who knows if we are? But if Hashem says you are, that's a big testimony. The Pasuk says there was a man by the name of Eov. Tam. Tam means he was perfect. Yashar, between man and man. He's a straight shooter. Yere Elohim, God fearing. Sar Mera. Always avoided bad. That's a beauty. If God would say that on any of us here, at any point, we would say this was a success of a life. And then the story goes where the Satan comes to Hashem and says, listen, this man, we need to see if he's real. We have to see if he's for real.
We're not going to go through the story why. But bottom line, Eov started to suffer. He lost his money. He lost his family, all his children. He lost his health. Very sick man. And the book of Eov is a discussion about how he dealt with it and how others dealt with him. He had three friends that came. Can you imagine? All his good friends, and one guy showed up. It's a good message, by the way. Do you think you have so many friends? Not that many. He had three. When he was up, he had a lot of friends. When he was down, three people came to visit him. And each one had what to say. This guy gave him Musar, this guy told him, you're Rashad, one guy told him. Each one had what to say about him. Again, it's worthwhile to study it, but that's not beyond the scope of this class. Anyway, and Eov was holding on. He was holding on. He was holding on tight. Not complaining. Holding on to his emunah. That Eov started to curse the day that he was born. Pasuk says, Aharechen patah Eov et piho. Eov opened his mouth. Vaikalel et yomo. And he cursed the day that he was born. And he started going and going and going on and on and on. He says things like, Lama yiten le'amel or? Why does Hashem give life or light to those who are in trouble, those who are in pain? Hayim le'mare nafesh. Why is He giving life to those who are bitter? Hamhakim la'mavet. Those who are waiting to die. Ve'enen, when it's not coming fast enough. And on and on. This is the words of Eov. In Perek Lamed Het. Sorry, now I go lower. Now his friends came and started to give it to him. They gave him all types of Musa. Then Hashem comes to Eov and he's going to answer him. And he tells him, Vayan Adonai Eov, he says, Who is this person talking about Eov? Who is this fellow here that's putting darkness to Hashem's wisdom? Bemilin, he says words, belidat, without knowing anything. He says, Iyov, tell me. Ish'alecha, let me ask you, Iyov, vehodi'eni, please tell me. Efo hayita beyosdi aretz. Where were you when I made the earth? Haget, tell me. Im yadatavina, do you know how to make the planet earth? Were you there with me? Did we share advice with each other when I made this planet? Misa memadeha, who put the measuring of this world? How does the ocean know to stop by the sand? Who did that? Do you know how to do that? Why is the earth not getting flooded by the oceans? Eov, did you consult 
that I consult with you? Did you help me with that? Do you understand how that works? He says, how is the earth standing? Do you know? Did you put, he says, Alma Adaneha Hutba'u. Adaneha means the poles or the foundation that holds up the earth. Did you help me put those foundations? And he continues, in your life, Iyov, did you ever make morning? Do you know how to make a morning? Do you know how morning happens? And he goes on and on. He says, Did you ever travel to the depths of the oceans? Have you ever been there? Do you ever go very deep in the ocean? Were you ever there? Do you know what's going on there? <coughs> Haged, he says, tell me, im yadata kula, do you know everything that's going on in the world? Eze haderech yishkon or, how does light come to the earth? How does the sun, one light bulb, shine the entire earth? Do you get that? Vehoshech eze mekomo, where does darkness come from? You get the idea. Yadata ki asti valed. Did you know before you were born that you will be born? You help me give birth to you. Umispari yamecha. Rabim, do you know how long your days will be? You know how I calculate that? 50, 70, 100, 120? Do you know how to bring snow? Do you know where the rain comes from? On and on. Do you send? He says that the shalach derakim veyelechu. It's quite long. He goes through the animals. Did you make hatiten lasus gebura? Did you give strength to the donkey? The birds, how do they fly? Do you know how they fly? <coughs> the interesting thing about this whole conversation, it goes through Perek Lametet. The interesting thing is that God never answers Eov. Eov had all these complaints about why he's suffering. In the whole discussion, he never answered him. What's the answer? So perhaps the answer is, or the beginning of the answer is, yo, you don't know anything. What are you asking about this? You don't know anything. Did you just realize that today? Ksil lo yavin etzot. We should never be guilty of being a ksil. We don't know a lot of things. But don't say, I don't know this. That's not fair. Not appropriate. I told this man that night after I brought this, not as long. I said, You're standing here and you're asking me a very difficult question. Why did this happen? 
I said, but it's unfair to ask a question like that when you don't know a lot about what happens. I said, we can't discuss why people die until we learn why they were born. I said, don't ask me a question about the end of the line until you understand why they were on the line. And that's not the time to discuss today. That was my discussion then. And that's my talk to you. We need to learn this subject. But we have to be very careful how to approach the subject. We have to remind ourselves that we don't know a lot of things. We want to know this too. And we're going to try to learn it. But don't be surprised that you don't understand it. Don't be surprised that you don't get it. There's nothing surprising about that. It's your life story. You know, there's... Um, I saw one Admor writes. He says, if we don't understand the blade of grass, we don't understand it. You know, grass, don't think it's simple. The blade of grass that you see is potentially your meat, your milk, your cheese, your leather, your wool, your apples, your oranges, that piece of dirt that you're stepping on is potentially your eyes, it's your heart, it's your brain. That piece of dirt, do you understand how a piece of dirt becomes a brain? Do you get that? And it does. A piece of dirt is a piece, a brain is a piece of dirt. That's all it is. A heart is a piece of dirt. So he says, if we can't understand one piece of dirt, he says, and certainly we can't understand the human soul. He said, we're going to understand the knowledge of the creator of the world? Is that so surprising that we can't understand what he understands? Is that really shocking? Isn't that actually more logical? that we shouldn't understand? Isn't it more logical that we should have so many questions on the Creator because we can't understand anything? You know, the Creator of the world, imagine this entire building was trying to be placed inside a small tissue box. Would it surprise anyone that it's not going in? But I don't get it. Why is it not going in? Please, sir. Yeah, how huge this building is. You can't fit that in a tissue box. Our little brain and God's brain, which one do you think is bigger? <coughs> I know you know the answer to that. Is it so surprising that his brain can't fit in our brain? Actually, I think it's surprising if we understand anything. That's a hidush. If someone says, I understand this, that should be like, wow. How in the world did I understand what God understands? That's a, that's a tremendous hidush. That 
The Hidush is not when we don't understand. The Hidush is when we do understand. And we walk around like, I don't get that. I don't get this. Ah, I'm going off the dead. What are you talking about? What are you saying? Can I remind you again that you don't understand? Not to put you down. To show you reality. It's nice to understand. We're supposed to try to understand as much as we can. But it's no shock if we don't understand. Hashem says, my thoughts are deeper than yours. I know more than you. I see bigger than you. You don't have the whole picture. You came in at the end of the movie. You don't know what went on before. You have no idea what's in store. You don't know what comes in this world, the next world. You don't know anything. You don't even know what I'm doing. You want to learn from what I'm doing, how to react? You should. But the premise of these classes cannot be that if we don't understand what God does at every moment, so then we're very frustrated. There's nothing frustrating about that. That's a human being. It's okay not to understand. What's not okay is not to learn how to deal with it if Hashem gave us guidance. Imagine, you know, when Sefer writes, writes, he says, imagine they have, they're doing this, uh, this medical study on monkeys. So every morning they go to one monkey, the same monkey, and they give him a shot because they're trying to figure out if what can heal the monkey can heal a human. And every morning they come, they give him a shot. They give him a shot. He says, will the monkey ever understand why you're giving him a shot? Could you try to explain to the monkey why he's getting a shot every morning? In a million years, you can't explain. So why is it so hard to understand that we also can't understand what Hashem does when He gives us a shot? We don't understand it. It makes sense. It makes sense that we don't understand it. I'm just going to leave you off with the following thought. Because we're really not, we're really not um, starting the subject today. Today was a little bit of an intro, but an important intro. Because you have to get in the right mindset. You have to be in the right uh, road before you can enjoy the road. we got to just put our heads straight. And the first thing we're learning is that it's okay that we don't understand. It actually makes sense that we don't. It's not a surprise. It's not frustrating that we don't understand. It would be nice to understand. But it's not a requirement. The second thing we should keep in mind is that Another very important principle as we go down this path is that God owes us nothing. It's very hard to convince ourselves of that. But God owes us nothing. Zero. He owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us life. He doesn't owe us health. He doesn't owe us a husband or a wife. He doesn't owe us children. He doesn't owe us happy children, healthy children. He doesn't owe us money. He doesn't owe us life years. He owes us nothing. It's hard to internalize that because we've been feeling entitled since the day that we're born. From the day that we're born, we're feeling that our parents need to give us. In fact, when our parents didn't give us enough, 
We started screaming and kicking and crying and upset. Only a $40,000 car, that's all I'm worth. You drive that car, how come I got this car? I'm saying, I don't have to give you anything. That's all you have for dinner? That's it? You get all mad. I'm out of here. I don't have to make you dinner. I don't have to buy your clothes. Your mother doesn't have to give you anything. But you don't know that when you're little. When you're little, you're the center, and I'm the center of the world. And everyone's there just for me. They're only alive for me. In fact, it's their zechut to serve me. By the way, teenagers feel that. Teenagers feel that it's their parents' merit that they could serve such a great person like them. You are lucky to be my mother. You know, there'd be a lot of women that would love to be my mother. You're the lucky one. So you get to cook for me, and you get to shop for me, and you get to worry about me. Lucky you, mom. And you're laughing and you think I'm exaggerating. That is a fact of life. When they're little, they don't even realize that. But when they get older, they realize that it's there, it's your zechut to be their mother. Remember when you were running around trying to feed your two-year-old and you finally got the food in his mouth? You said, okay, you got me, mom. I did that one for you. He's, he thinks he's doing you a favor because he's eating. His eating is your favor. And that doesn't stop when they are 15. It just turns into other things. So is it, it's not surprising that we feel entitled. We've been feeling that way from the day that we're born. We're old life. So if someone is all of a sudden in danger of losing life, what happened? Nothing happened. Nobody owes you anything. You weren't there when you were created. You didn't give Hashem anything when He made you. You know and I know we didn't make ourselves. We, don't, we know some things, but we all know this all together. We all know, we all agree that we did not make ourselves. And even better than that, we cannot make ourselves. And even more than that, if something goes wrong, we can hardly even fix it. You know that. I know that. You didn't give Hashem anything before He made you. You didn't give Him a bribe. You don't give Him anything now. How many times in your life have you felt you did something good, you helped somebody, you did a great act of kindness, you had a great tefillah, you did some unbelievable act, and that day, something bad happens to you. And you say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How could it be? How could it be? I did this this morning, and the same day, this is what happens to me. I slip and I hurt my ankle. Can't believe it. What? Look, can we understand that? What is it that you can't believe? Let's, let's think. You have a bill by Hashem. The bill is way past due. You owe a lot, like endless amount. What you did this morning was like a little dot that nobody could see. You paid nothing. It's all paid up. All your lungs are paid up. 
The food that he gave you is paid up. The parents he gave you, paid up. The health that he's giving you is paid up. All the, you, you all paid up. You can't understand. That's what, you know, I, I try to imagine a child who's asked by his mother of 50 years. His mother calls him up, please, please son, could you come over? I have to go to the doctor. I need someone to shovel the snow. Could you please come? Of course, mom, I'll be right over. But wait, mom, what are you gonna give me? How much? How much? What's wrong with that question? What's really wrong with that question? I know it doesn't seem right, but what's wrong with it? What's wrong is the following, that you owe your mother way, way more than you can even pay. And you certainly haven't paid back. And you owe a lot. It's like a person who you owe $100 million to and you come in to make a $100 payment. And you wonder why the guy is not like, so proud of you. Well, I understand. I gave you, I gave you $100. But you, but you owe $100 million. You gave $100. doesn't mean anything. Why do you think you just paid up your bill? But that's what we think. Hashem owes us nothing. Everything is extra. He doesn't owe us one day of life. He doesn't owe us anything. Not a comfortable life, not an easy life, and no life altogether. We have to remind ourselves of that. He doesn't owe us. It's hard to accept. Because like I said, it's obvious, but hard to accept. Because we're living with this nature, this habit of entitlement that we see in our children, and we have it too. You know, they say a story. I think I mentioned the story once before here. They mention the story of a man who goes out to the street and he sees that there is a line of about a thousand people just waiting online. He doesn't understand why they're waiting online. So, of course, he asks somebody, he says, Can you ask me why they're waiting online? He says, You're not going to believe it, but it's, it's a true thing. We, 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 we saw it. It's real. There's a guy in the front. All you do is shake his hand when you get there. You give him a Shabbat Shalom or Shavuot Tov, whatever you want to give him. And he writes you a check for $100 million. And he says, are you sure? $100 million? Yeah, certified check. $100 million. I've seen people, they go, they get, they check, they go, deposit it. The money's in their account. 100%. Of course, he waits online too. Who wouldn't wait online? He's waiting online. Not only that, if he's if he's SY, he probably called his wife and children. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Anyway, why don't you wait by himself? He calls me. He calls me. Fine. He'll take a cut from here, from there. Anyway, he's waiting online. Two or three hours pass. So he finally gets to the front and he's watching and he's paying attention. And it's true. Every guy gets a check and he gets and checks hundred million, hundred million. Guy's watching every check. Every guy got a hundred million dollars. He's all ready to go. He's all ready. He goes to the front of the line. He shakes the guy's hand, gives him the warmest hello. The guy says, thank you very much. Takes out his checkbook, writes him a check. He says, here you go. The guy's so excited. He turns around. He goes, $10 million. Believe it, ten million dollars. 
He's watching, he's waiting to see the next guy. Next guy? $100 million. He cannot believe it. $10 million. All the way home, the guy is just, he's not doing himself. He's so upset, he's so hurt, he doesn't know what to do. Finally, he gets home, and sure enough, his wife is there. She hasn't seen his face like that in years. He looks like, honey, what happened? Is everything okay? What happened? This is the worst day of my life. It's the worst day of your life. What happened? What could have happened? You know, men, they don't talk. Ah, I'm not saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. It means it matters. It doesn't, mean, just, it doesn't matter. Ah, forget it. Okay, a good wife knows how to get out of it. He says, what happened? Takes his check out of his pocket, all crumbled. He says, here. Throws on his Look at this. She opens the check. She says, what happened? Maybe they... Maybe they're taking over the house, the bank is taking the house. What, what was it? $10 million. The guy hasn't made $10 million his whole life. She can't understand. This doesn't make sense. Why are you upset if you got $10 million? Nah, you'll never understand. I want to understand. Nah, you'll never understand. And she will never understand. Because there's nothing to understand. That's why. Because it's silly. He owes you nothing. He gave you $10 million. It's the happiest day of your life. But you come home and it's the worst day of your life. Because why did I get the 90? How come they got the 90? I don't, I don't get it. But as silly as this story is, it's a story of our lives. Literally. Start in our lives. Every day, we have a tremendous amount of wealth. A tremendous amount. Of course, there are things that we don't have. And other people do have it. And guess what? Maybe it's a good idea if he wants to figure out why the guy didn't give him the check. It's a good idea. Maybe go back and ask him. Maybe analyze why. Maybe it's something wrong. Whatever it is. It's a good idea. But that, that doesn't change the reality that you have something very special now. Enjoy it. So we have to remember, the second thing that we're going to remember in this class is that God owes us nothing, zero. It's not going to make the pain go away. But it's going to give a lot of perspective. You know, when it comes to Yisurin, there are two things to deal with. There's the actual pain And then there is the frustration of, I don't get it. I don't understand. Why? Why me? Why not them? What? That's a whole other part of suffering that comes with the pain. They're not together. Pain is not enjoyable, but it's possible to live with. But when you don't have the right attitude towards it, then it becomes impossible. We're going to go and try to figure out this whole world of Yisurin. What is it all about? 
while we may not be able to locate every answer for every situation, but we will be able to give a lot of perspective and say, well, it could happen either because of this or because of that, or because of this, or maybe because of that, or maybe because of this. So which one is mine? I, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I don't know which one is yours. But I can tell you there's a reason. I can give you the options. I give you the menu. Here's the menu of why things could happen. And when you have a menu, you have what to work with. And not only will you help yourself, because now you'll find meaning in your pain. Again, to take away the pain, that you need an emotional lift. That you need friends. You need a shoulder to cry on. But to take away the other pain is to find perspective, to find meaning. There is a reason. I don't know the reason. Let me try to figure out what might be the reason. Maybe I need to change something. Maybe I need to do something. Whatever it might be. That's going to be our job. Our job is to figure out what are the different reasons that these things can happen. Did Hashem share with us any information about the way He deals with the world? Again, not the way He dealt with me. I don't know why it's happening to me. But is there a reason why these things happen altogether? That I can start looking in and understanding. That would be very beneficial. A, to the person suffering. And B, just as beneficial to those who are suffering. To try to help them. And not be like Eob's friends. Eob's friends said, for example, Eliphaz says, Remember Eob, Mina ki avad, who is pure and got hurt. The straight people never get cut off. You're Rasha, he did something wrong. And Bildad told him similar, similar words. And Sofar told him similar words. But now that you have a bigger perspective, you know how to deal with it. When those who come for answers, you know how to give them the answers, or at least a perspective. You'll be able to prepare your children ahead of time. Because Yisurin is part of life. There is no escaping Yisurin. Again, some are small, some are large. But there's no escaping Yisurin. So as a smart parent, you want to make sure you give the right vaccine to your children before they have the problem. You know they're going to have the problem. You know they're going to have issues. So you need to prepare them ahead of time. They don't need the emotional part now because Baruch Hashem, they're not suffering. But they need perspective. How do you do that? How do you give them that perspective as a mother, as a father? How do you teach people ahead of time before the storm? When the storm comes, it's very hard to protect yourself. But if you come before the storm, you have a lot of perspective to protect yourself. So that's what we're going to be doing, Be'ezrat Hashem. But it's going to be a little while. We're not rushing into this. Like I told that man by that night, before we could learn why people suffer or why people die, we first have to learn why they were created. And I think before we go into suffering, we first have to go into pleasures. And we have to learn about why life was created and what was the purpose. And from there, we'll be able to go and study the entire subject. Be'ezrat Hashem, I wish everybody here beracha, 
I wish you all blessings. Amen. It's our job to bless people that they should never suffer. Amen. That's our job. So my bracha to you is that nobody sees a day of suffering in their life. Amen. Baruch Amen. Amen. Amen.